Welcome to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Daniel. And we have just finished Hyperion. This is our last episode about Hyperion by Dan Simmons. I I finished this book this morning, Dan, and I really want to talk about it. I never know where you are in your reading, but I always, in this book especially, I always feel like I have to text you because I'm like, someone needs to appreciate this. <laughs> Yeah, which is why uh, we're so glad to share this with you, the insanity of this book, uh, dear listener. So, uh, dear listener, dear, dear listener, what have we just experienced? Luke and I, we're going to break it down for everybody because it needs some it needs some detailed analysis, I think. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, I, yeah, you know what? I think we just jump into it, Luke. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just it. we need U- to. Usually, our episodes have some some nonsense that we talk about <laughs> for about ten minutes, but let's just jump. I think this book time. is pretty crazy enough where we don't need to bring it outside. Right. Ridiculous. So, so just for reference, our last episode finished. Uh, we were about two thirds of the way done. So for this episode, we just heard uh, Braun and Braun Braun. Lamia? Braun Lamia? That sounds right. And the console. Who right, just I those... can't remember the console's name. Did they ever give the console a name? Wait, Ansel? During his story, he got a name. Which, I just want to say, would it... It felt like it was being concealed from us. But nobody, nobody knew who that character was before, right? Like he what like none of the people on the trip knew him. Yeah, so I mean, his story seemed like it was pretty backwater. It didn't seem like a big, big, huge story that everybody would know about. So the fact that we didn't know his name is like, okay, not that big a deal. Yeah, but so those are the main those are the two chapters that we're going to talk about. I mean, we'll talk about the book as a whole, but those are the ones we'll focus on. Yeah, and I'm gonna just kind of broad go here go. These two chapters were a little bit different than the others, I think, in that they were much more, I don't know how to phrase this, much more important for the world. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, because absolutely. Because the other, the other books were like, or the other chapters or stories were super insane and very compelling. Right. But they weren't, they weren't quite as like wide reaching in impact. They were super Whereas, like, personal stories. The other the other stories were super personal to the person telling the story and had a huge impact on their life. These last two stories were both super super personal and extremely broad reaching in their impact for the hegemony and the web and humanity, frankly, in this world. Right. The the uh, Lamia's chapter basically, I think one of the main. P- things you t- come away from that is there's going to be intergalactic war no matter what and then the console chapter is like yep <laughs> i started the intergalactic war <laughs> yeah uh so a lot of stuff happening a lot of big moves happening oh there was something that happened and i don't know if it was just on my kindle so we might cut this if it was just on my kindle but when they would talk to somebody they would say they would put an m in front of their name and then oh, say yeah, their that, name. That's it actually in the book. I assume that's kind of like the Mr. or Mrs. Okay. I, I guess that makes sense, but I just don't know how you pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of bothered by that too. I do a good I do a nice little hum, like mm, mm Lamia. Oh, I, I did M Lamia. And for everybody I just thought that they were putting an M in front of their name and then saying their name. Um Okay, well I'm glad we cleared that up. That makes sense now. I just Yeah. Okay, let's. I'm gonna do. Let's jump into this, kind of the specifics that I've got first. Yeah. So, the Lamia chapter. Mm-hmm. Is that are we going Lamia? Is that how we're pronouncing it? Uh, Lamia is is that her last name? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fine. Okay, I'm gonna go Lamia. So her her chapter. She's a she's, Lucen Lucen. Lucen. I always went Lucen. So. Their main feature, I guess they grew up in very high gravity, so they're all super strong, right? Mm. Just a reference on how strong they are. Obviously, she works out, so maybe she's stronger than most. Yeah. But in the actual 
the actual story that's taking place, like the pilgrimage. Yes. She lifts, it, it kind of gives a scale by saying, I wrote this down, this quote, Lamia easily lifted a, or the 40 kilo backpack with one hand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know kilos, For, so I have no idea how much oh, that oh, is. No, oh, I got you. I got you. For the United States listeners, uh, kilo to pound conversion, 2.2 pounds per kilo. That is 88 pounds that she easily lifts with one hand. I mean, okay. So I don't know if you guys go to the gym, but if you've ever done curls, I imagine if she's easily lifting this with one hand, she can do, she can curl it, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. 88 pounds. Yeah, an 88 pound <laughs> curl is, I've never seen anyone curl 88 pounds. <laughs> That's insanity. And, and not only have I never seen anyone curl 88 pounds, I've never seen anyone curl 88 pounds easily. Exactly. Yeah. I've seen people curl 15 pounds easily. 88. So then what would like, what a hundred pounds would be? Is there like hard a like, challenge? Like she maxes out or something. And if that's the case, where are the sports where you just take two Lucians and put them put them on a field and have them just destroy each other right they've got to be i i haven't caught much sports reference like uh, entertainment sports references in this book yeah but you've got to think that there's there's got to be rules like okay you know how we have anti-doping rules where you can't take (laughs) performance enhancing drugs oh yes it's got to be if you if you are from a world that has like stronger than 1.1 g gravity yeah you're not allowed to compete or something like that <laughs> well they, because I, that's ridiculous they just they have to have different leagues for that kind of stuff right they have the lucian league and the i think of the maui covenant or convent what was it convent the maui convent. uh sure anyway <laughs> sure that's that sounds good the maui convent island i think was 0.9 g's and as a result the people were slightly taller there and so obviously you have the best basketball league in the galaxy is from people who are from there you know it's essentially the united states of the basketball community <laughs> right right and i guess the all the football players come from lucia um yeah that's pretty insane luke the other thing about that story that is kind of just strange that dan simmons brings up is the did you catch the name of the virus that the cybrid was infected with wasn't it like aids too it was something? aids too <laughs> They are so unoriginal with names. We've got we've got AIDS too. We've got ultramorphine from earlier in the book. Which this actually ties in really well to one of the larger plot points that I think is really fascinating. That when the consul is talking to the ousters and he realizes that all of hegemony culture is super derivative and it all is just people rehashing old earth stuff. And right, talk- I think he says he says like the ousters are the only ones that have evolved, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like ouster culture is incredibly advanced, and they're not just rehashing the names of stuff from old Earth and constantly referencing old Earth. They have m- advanced. They have moved on from the destruction of old Earth, and it was just super validating because we were talking about that basically this whole series of how everything is so old earth focused so i mean very well written dan you got us so i i want to go back back out of the story for a minute Mm -hmm. in terms of to the the actual pilgrimage i mean Mm -hmm. so they go up this tram car right yeah uh i don't know if you did the math i did yes do the math luke (laughs) so it says the i think the highest point they go to is like the one of the peaks it's i think it's the fifth highest peak on this mountain but the tram car actually goes up to that peak Mm -hmm. and then i guess crosses the mountain range yes uh it says the highest point is 9246 meters don't strain yourself i did the math that's 30,334 feet so for reference Mount Everest. Like 32 is Everest? Mount Everest is 29,000 feet. Okay. Or 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 8,848 meters. So they are going higher than Everest right now mm-hmm. on this 
on this tram car that he has got going by wedging the lever with like a sandbag (laughs) which i mean sure maybe you can't compare worlds necessarily like maybe they have much higher oxygen levels so or or what you know whatever makes Everest dangerous maybe this one isn't dangerous yeah for whatever reason right but still you're going so high up with just it's just so casually did they i think they said the tram car was pressurized and heated oh yeah i think so at one point i think so right so they definitely are accounting for it but the blatant disregard they have for their own lives is incredible and especially i get the fact that they're really fatalistic because they think they're all gonna die by the shrike anyway but if that's true why even go what why are you doing any of this if you don't care if you die along the way? Because that move that Colonel Kassad did where he jumped like something like 40 meters or something insane. I don't think they actually said a distance. I'm just picturing 40 meters that he tried to jump. <laughs> 40, 40 seems high, but sure. But he just like didn't care compl- like at an all out sprint. Jumped. And it seemed like the and seemed like the only reason he had to do it was because he just wanted he wanted to do it quick so he didn't find out a better way. Right. He just like he was like, Oh, here's a lever, I'll wedge it and then sprint. <laughs> it's like you you could find a better way to do this. Yeah, no, that's exactly what he did. Cause as he got in there, he played it off super casually, like, I didn't want to find a different way to do it. Or I didn't want to bring the tram back and try again, is what he said. So another thing that we need to talk about is how I guess this was again written in nineteen eighty nine. So before the internet was super like super prevalent in our society i guess yeah so the way that this like going into the internet or however he phrases it is pictured is funny to me because i guess you get some basically these guys get some kind of surgery to to make them be able to plug whatever access point into their brain or i think i think it's right behind her ear yeah i am i pictured the matrix for this (laughs) yeah that's actually a good that's a good analogy the like steel ports that everybody has in the back of their head to connect them to the matrix that's what i'm picturing and then when they're actually in the the hyperion version of the matrix it's just a a physical world (laughs) like what i don't get it yeah i so the way that I rationalized that was it's just a representation of the data so that humans could interpret it and understand it. So obviously on a computer, <laughs> if you looked at the files on your computer, they wouldn't look like towers of black ice and lakes. Like it doesn't, that's not how data works. Sorry. But I had a feeling like it was just a way for the humans interfacing with the data to be able to understand even slightly what was going on. Yeah, I guess that's, that's fair. I, I specifically, I thought the fight scene was interesting I, when, you know what I'm talking about? When they, yeah. when they do, I don't even know what it was when, uh, the cybrid Keats, I guess at this point, uh-huh. uh, fully invested into his body. So they say, you know, her and Lamia and Bibi, I think was yeah, his name, Bibi. go into the the data sphere or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, towers of black ice and all that kind of stuff. And then the cybrid like dies and there's just a huge explosion, I guess, that makes a black, a black hole <laughs> that sucks everything in. And then they go into the black <laughs> hole and grab something and then some monsters come in and fight them but somehow they get out but (laughs) bb's head explodes in the real life what is happening yeah that was the wildest thing to me was not because i could imagine like it's this the analog nowadays is imagine somebody just playing a video game where instead of it being just for fun it's to traverse this data that you're looking at so they're essentially playing a video game but how high stakes is that video game where 
you could your head could explode if you do it wrong. Why would anyone ag- why would anyone agree to get one of those ports in if if there was even the remotest possibility that their head would explode? Cuz basically, I mean, there's no it doesn't seem like there's laws in this I don't remember. Do they call it the data sphere the or data something sphere. like that? I think so. Or the data, the datum sphere or something like that. Yeah. I'm just going to say data sphere. So there's, I, I never got any indication of there being like written down laws or anything. It's just the, I guess, AIs get, you know, you don't want to be on the wrong side of the AIs because apparently whenever they get mad at you, <laughs> They can, I'm guessing just, they send some kind of signal to your little ear headpiece that's in your brain and it just explodes somehow. Right. So can they just do that whenever? (laughs) This is exactly my concern and why I brought up the fact that no one would agree to that because you could also do that. If, if AI could do that, then another person could do that. By just sending the signal to your to your headset to get your brain to explode. Why? The only explanation that I can think of right now is the only way for this thing to work properly is to give it the capability to explode somebody's brain. Like the the AIs have to give, send, have to find some way to, or what do you mean? The only way for the neural shunt to work and to be super quick is to design it to where somebody could potentially do this. And so that means everybody who uses one just accepts the risk that maybe someday somebody will, you know, maybe they'll visit the wrong website and get a virus that will explode their brain. (laughs) And if this were the case, there would be nobody over the age of 80 because their brains would just be full of viruses at this point. Oh, for sure, because at the you know in our day and age, everyone says no, like don't go to not secured websites, but obviously everyone does. If that's lethal, like if every time you went to, I don't know, some unsecured network or, or website, there's a decent chance your head's exploding. <laughs> Which and. And like I was saying earlier, Luke, I'm more concerned about the senior people in this world, the older generation, because the number of toolbars, website toolbars that I have to remove from my grandparents' computer every time I go there, like every Thanksgiving, I'm removing like four toolbars from askjeeves.com from their, I don't even know, I don't think Ask Jeeves even exists anymore, but somehow they end up with like three toolbars on their web browser from ask Jeeves whenever I'm over there. And it's like, if that, if that happens now with old people, the equivalent is their brain exploding. Well, so basically this just means that almost the data sphere is like some kind of frontier where only people that are super well-trained can go. Otherwise there's a decent chance they're getting, they're getting murdered. (laughs) Yeah. I, I guess which how bold of that is how how bold is that that mm, Lamia goes in there knowing basically nothing oh yeah well okay but but she didn't get the shunt oh when yeah she that's went in. true but then but then now this explains why she was so pissed off at uh Keats for giving her the shunt like when she was because <laughs> she was just like you know now my head can explode at any time. <laughs> Somebody could plug in and explode my brain. Like, imagine if you woke up one day and, I don't know, one of your friends was like, hey, while you were asleep, I put in this really cool thing into your head where uh, whenever you think something, you'll, like, learn the answer because you're, you know, really quickly connected to the internet. You'd be like, oh, that's super cool. And he's like... Yeah, just keep in mind that don't think anything bad because then your head might explode. <laughs> I mean, my I wouldn't have a chance to be mad at them because my head would have already exploded at that point. <laughs> right. Um the the other thing about that interaction that is so insane is how quickly she's cool with it. 
Right. Right. Like, like he just explains, he's like, now I can give you information really quickly. No, that's not. So that's not actually what happened. What happened is Johnny implanted this like neural shunt into Mlamia. And the thing that he put in her brain was something called a, I don't remember. It was like a something loop was the name. Oh, of right, it. right, right, right. And the loop is just a big hard drive. It's You can store a lot of data on it. But she explicitly says she can't access any of that data. It's it's literally just a USB. He put a flash drive in her brain that she can't plug into. And she, I think she realized in that moment it was so he could potentially put his consciousness into this loop in her head but damn she's cool with it so quickly you're not wrong it was yeah she is what we learned from this is that she is bout it bout it johnny (laughs) (laughs) from second one from first glance she was bout it bout it right 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 right. because she says she says how how handsome or whatever he is like once a page and there's also we don't have to go far into it, but there's some very, like, explicit sex <laughs> things in, in here. In both of these chapters, it's like, oh, it's a lot. It's a lot, Luke. Can, I, I, can we just say, we might cut this, but the part when uh, I think she says he gives her all the data right before he dies, oh, I think, right? God. And she's like, it was a lot like, <laughs> God, can I say it? She basically says it was a lot like when he came inside her last night. It's like, God damn it, Imlamia. It's like, we didn't need that. It also sounded like she was bragging. Because again, remember, Luke, she's telling this to everybody in the room. <laughs> right. So she's she's totally just like bragging to everybody like, yeah, we did it super hard. <laughs> Which, <laughs> when you put that in the context... <laughs> Of Saul Weintraub's story. Oh my god. And he his story is literally just, yeah, me and my wife had a really beautiful, loving family, and then our daughter started aging backwards and our lives just became so sad and depressing. And then everyone else is like, Yeah, we boned the Shrike four or five times and yeah, we did it pretty hard. Uh it almost bit my penis off, but like still <laughs> still tapped it, so it was pretty sweet actually. Um, and then Lamia. Oh God. Whew. <laughs> kind of a different tone on those scenes. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> but, and then they go to. Well, the the whole thing is, I guess, to to sum up her whole story, it's this whole thing with these AIs that are, essentially, or I don't know if we learned this from chapter but the ais basically rule the world mm-hmm. and they could kill yeah yeah they could it takes one decision and they could just end all of humanity <laughs> well what was like what was fascinating to me about that was it seemed a lot less like the ais ruled the world and a lot more like they're just able to predict the future because so so yes they had a lot of control over everything especially the farcasters like they basically ran the hegemony but they also had this like they had this predictive model that could forecast what the future was going to be with i think they said 98% accuracy right and the only reason it's not at 100 is because of hyperion i think mm-hmm. which so, and so the 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 ultimate goal of most of the ais i think is to get to the 100% predict prediction rate yeah and but i mean it says so i guess they don't run the world because they're they're so focused on that goal that they I guess don't really care that much, except for just you know small things. I think I think it says like the 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 humans basically rely on some whatever is called the all thing, which the I think the AIs like kind of make fun of. So the AIs basically, I, I'm picturing that as they don't quite care that much. Yeah. About the humans, but if if they wanted to they and, and they just kind of shut off the humans 
I think it's implied that they, they they can go to basically extinction, isn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. It the only reason the AIs haven't killed people yet, like killed all humanity yet, is because there's a faction of really old AIs who don't want them to. Otherwise, they they definitely have the procedure in place. They just haven't said that they're gonna do it yet. So the other thing with the AIs bold move when something doesn't fit your model to just try and get rid of it uh that's not how science works <laughs> it sounds like your model's really bad <laughs> yeah it sounds like they're trying to take shortcuts here because essentially what they're trying to do is cut out hyperion and say well we're not going to include that in our predictive model of everything right it's like th- this is like the physicist saying coming up with a solution and saying assuming uh like assuming vacuum conditions and uh uh, it's been a while since i was in college damn it (laughs) (laughs) that's okay it's just very bad science like how did they come up with a prediction algorithm that's 98 percent accurate we're cutting doing stuff like this what else are they cutting out of their model especially considering it says 98 percent accuracy to for like two centuries i think is what he says Mm -hmm. i i find that hard to believe considering they can't factor in hyperion at all because two centuries i mean they've only this ai network has really only been around for what like 500 600 years yeah i don't buy it luke (laughs) now okay now this who who gives us this information johnny an ai uh uh uh-huh He's got to have some kind of ulterior motive oh, here. he's part of the plan for sure. Well, because you also have to think of the fact, and this is why I can't believe how stupid Amlamia is at times. AIs are described as these hyper-intelligent beings. And as soon as Amlamia learns that they're considering killing everybody, she's cool with one of them. Like, super cool with one of them. Very cool with one of them. <laughs> Although, I mean, I don't think... I don't think Johnny is one of the AIs We don't wants to kill everyone. We don't know that. Oh, that's a, that's fair. Yeah. We're, we're hearing that from Johnny. He so convinces Mlamia that he is one of the good ones. She's a detective. She knows people lie and manipulate other people to get what they want. Yeah, but he's he's like... He's pretty hot, okay, though. Holy shit, I forgot he was super hot. <laughs> Which she points out constantly. <laughs> right, it just, it's, uh, so it makes it seem like he is manipulating her so much to get onto this planet that has this anomaly that the machines ha- want to figure out in order to decide what to do about ex- killing all of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- this, this is why one of this chapter is so different from the previous ones because i feel like this one could be just this story itself if it was to take in to its conclusion could be a like super intense book series oh for sure the thing about you're talking about the um brawn lamia chapter right 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 this whole and i mean you know, her, chap- her chapter alone, just given more details, could be a whole book. Right. And then the future things that happen could be a, like a very good sequence of books. Whereas previous chapters were kind of, I mean, they could probably, you know, you could see the conclusion with the Shrike. But I, I just don't think they have kind of the same, like, wide-reaching. Like, scope. They didn't have the right. same scope as this story. Well, the other thing about this story that... I realized as I was reading it is it has been made into other bits of media. So the mo the original Blade Runner movie that came out was basically set in the setting of Bron Lamia's story. When they were describing that story at the beginning, I just kept seeing the first Blade Runner movie and the really the the guy's a detective kind of character and he's in a rundown futuristic city going through investigating a whole bunch of stuff. And The Matrix is the other one that they made a whole 
series about where people plug into this data world with these AIs and interact with them, and the AIs are not great. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And this, that story is like that, and I think the console story is also arguably more. Oh, way more crazy. Yeah. Um. So, you want to you want to jump into the console story? Yeah, we should definitely jump into the console story. So. I don't have much written down for the for the beginning of this story, but so it basically goes through his I think it's his grandfather's the, what we learn later is his grandfather's story, where he's this I guess shipman that's preparing this world for joining the web. Yeah, and I guess the main story is about how he he comes back he keeps coming back, but every year the woman that he met the first time is whatever eleven or however many years older while he stays, you know, in relation, basically the same age. Yeah. And I don't have much written down for that other than I don't get why uh, Siri, I think is her name. I don't get why she is allegedly so important because they make many references, kind of quick ones saying how big of a deal she is. Like I think during one of her birthdays, the uh, like head of the hegemony gives a 40 minute speech basically saying happy birthday. It's like, what, why, what did she do? Well, I think, I think the whole thing is it's like a soap opera that everybody is super into the relationship between this dude and the person on the Maui convent. And so everybody follows it super closely and, is super invested in this story between the two of them. Oh, right. That's a good point. Which I don't get why. Because they say, like, there's basically some kind of myth about them. Right. Yes. I think part of it is the hegemony is definitely promoting it a lot because they're trying to get the people that live on that island to agree with the hegemony. So the hegemony is acting like they're super into this beautiful love story, which... (laughs) <laughs> it's not it's really not <laughs> he sees her he sees her so infrequently he only sees her like six times yeah in, in their entire life i mean granted i think i think those each time is like a couple weeks so it's not like he's seeing her for lunch six times but still he i think at one point he says he sees her for a cumulative like 105 or 106 days yeah something like that what when he comes back and first learns that there's this big obsession, do they just not know about the time debt thing? <laughs> like, this is a thing that happens. People, people that go travel using, not using forecasters come back way later. Everyone knows that this is a thing at this point. And literally, like, what are, how are they explaining that? I, don't, I, I get that they're, I think you're right, that that's definitely a promotion yeah. thing done mainly by the hegemony i'm just i'm just kind of impressed at how well it worked i guess also how stupid do they think these maui convent people are that well apparently they're right i guess but why would this guy comes down to your planet kills one of your prominent political figures like sons has sex with an underage girl Right, that that needs to be addressed. Right. Leaves, comes back 11 years later, and just in that time, you've already decided he is this incredible Romeo-esque figure who you need to write poems and have a celebration for. What? And, Luke, you know what would be a more beautiful love story? What's that? If he just didn't leave. <laughs> right, yeah, he totally could. He totally does it have to? I I get that she can't leave because they won't take her aboard the ship, but he could have just stayed there. Their life sounds very nice. It sounds beautiful, Luke. You can talk to dolphins, which needs to be addressed also. <laughs> yeah, and apparently one of the one of the things they like to say the most is sharks, which is they really like sharks apparently. Is am I by the way, am I missing something with that? I don't I feel like I must have been. 
because later on he's he says he's gonna when he does the whole thing where he destroys the farcaster i think yeah he says he's gonna basically tell the dolphins that sharks are coming yeah so i think it's just the dolphins expressing their i don't want to say boredom but maybe lack of purpose that their life doesn't have any risk anymore there's nothing that's hunting them they just kind of float around and so he is bringing people to come fight and kill them and so he's bringing sharks essentially which which we also need to address because when uh force like the hegemony army i guess comes in they just bomb the shit out of these dolphins (laughs) they massacre they massacre the dolphins are the dolphins fighting back? So, Luke, this is the only... This is why, is the dolphins have taken up arms and are fighting the hegemony forces, which, imagine what that looks like for one second. A dolphin fighting a... Okay, I'm going to say that they probably aren't fighting in any of the space battles, but the the combat that's happening on the ground, the forces, the hegemony force command has decided that dolphins are a big enough threat they just need to bomb them out of the water right because you have to think that they're a threat to do what they do so how can they be a threat especially because the people can't really communicate with the dolphins very well i think they at one point they describe it as on the level of a one-year-old the type of conversation you can have so there's no way they explain to these dolphins that enemy forces are coming that they need to help fight and if they were to help fight they need instru- <laughs> instructions like they need to learn how to use i don't know like some like a gun or something which they can't there's so many things prohibiting the dolphins from fighting <laughs> i like to imagine that the the maui convent people just duct tape spears to dolphins without like they weren't coordinating with the dolphins at all they just dove into the ocean and duct taped as many spears as they could onto dolphins so the spears are like pointed out like unicorn horns and the force commandos just saw one of them and were like holy shit the dolphins have taken up arms against us (laughs) better not take any chances yeah, I think, I think that's basically what happened. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the the natives have as much responsibility in killing the dolphins as the force people do. I'd say more. I'd say they have all the responsibility because the force commandos probably wouldn't bomb the dolphins if they weren't a part of it. The dolphins probably would have just got to chill. Oh yeah, for sure. You can have a war without killing the dolphins. <laughs> we do it all the time. Right, and you and like. They dis- they destroy the force destroys all the dolphins. These guys, or but, but I mean they destroy the the natives so oh, it's, easily. It's because, not even a contest. Of course they do. Right. But the natives have to bring the dolphins into it, and oh. the whole dolphin obsession I think is weird to me. the The fact that they also have this medallion that lets you communicate with them also needs further exploring, <laughs> because I'm picturing this as some kind of backwater world that doesn't have super high advance i mean the dude comes at him comes at uh mike or whatever his name's at is with a sword and you're telling me they have swords but also devices that let you talk dolphins i i just i think there could be i think the 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 medallion that lets you talk to animals should be uh should be studied a little bit more and maybe improved some (laughs) Well, okay, I, I I do think it only lets you talk to dolphins. Oh, you think it's specific to dolphins? Yeah, I think it's I think it's literally just this makes clicks and whistles. We think this is what it's saying. So, so it's not very advanced at all. It's just you. <laughs> they're just guessing. I like that idea. Yeah, I mean, just imagine. Which think, means that there's a decent chance that they were wrong, and they duct taped these spears on these dolphins for no reason. The dolphins are like, we love that there's no sharks anywhere. Thank you. <laughs> and the guy's like, guess what? I brought the sharks back. <laughs> and all the dolphins are like, but now they have lasers and bombs. 
Dolphin's like, what are you, are you insane? That sounds more realistic to me. Here's the other, the other reason this is plausible. Dolphins are incredibly curious animals already. And so their only evidence that this thing translates what dolphins are saying is that dolphins come around when you start doing these clicks and whistles that sound like dolphin clicks and whistles. If there was a dolphin just uttering pure nonsense suddenly in the middle of the ocean, every other dolphin is going to go check out what the hell is going on there. There's no way this thing translates dolphin. I'm I'm taking a, a stand on this. This thing does not translate dolphin into English. It's just a clicky clicky whistler that has a set of this is a this is a good point. I'm glad I'm glad I brought this up and you could set me straight on this because I was I was interested, but now I think you're definitely right. It it has a set of preset responses. It's kind of like a magic eight ball that the things that the dolphins are apparently saying to you are just like some common phrases that they programmed into it. It's a child's toy, is what it is. Right. Someone someone brought this and was like, hey, so let's talk to dolphins, dude. Trust me. And then they built their entire society around <laughs> it. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. But, okay, moving on. Um, the So the, the story basically ends, we've already mentioned it, but when the Farcaster is about to be set up, the consul's grandfather, who this story is coming from, ends up blowing everything up and leads this rebellion that's wildly unsuccessful. Yeah. But uh, but I guess is inspiring in some way. And then and then after that, the consul actually picks up his story. Right. Which is interesting. <laughs> because he basically I mean, he says it really quickly. He gives a story really quickly and doesn't give many details of it, I guess. But it seems like he just kinda doesn't I don't want to say he doesn't do anything, but he just, I guess, just gets up to a high high enough position. And then, I, I, was there anything between him getting sent to the ousters? Not really. He just, oh, um, he and his family were on Brescia when it was attacked by the ousters. And they, like, murdered his entire family, which now he has a vendetta against everybody so good job universe the before we start talking about his story though i just want to point out he does the opposite of what everybody else does everybody else talks up their stories in a huge way and he he stalls for time by playing this ancient history lesson for everybody that he claims is incredibly important to his story and then it has almost no bearing on his story at all. I get, okay, I get the literary and, like, the themes that are presented in it about the hegemony ruining everything good and beautiful in the world. But everybody already kind of knows that at this point. And so he plays this super long story that at the end gets to the point and then tells his story of, like, oh, yeah, and then I met the Ousters and... I'm basically working for them now. <laughs> yeah, and he goes through his... Because his story would be, if if he were to go into detail, probably just as cool, right? But he... <laughs> No, Luke, I just realized the problem. I just realized it. This is what he does. He tells... Everybody else is telling their stories, and he's just thinking, shit, think something up. Think of something. Anything. Anything. Shit. 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 It finally gets to him. And he's like, uh, here, listen to this mixtape I made. Uh, and he pops it in and it just starts playing. He's like, gotta think, gotta think, gotta think, gotta think. What is cool? And then it ends and he's like, fuck. Uh, I became a powerful man, more powerful than many people. And I met the ousters and they were just, oh, cooler than any of you guys could imagine. The, I can't describe it because it just be it would blow your mind so hard but they were just incredible so far advanced beyond anything you've ever conceived of and you know the hegemony tried to break me but the ousters were just so cool that i didn't want to betray them and then there were some battles and stuff 
yeah, I don't want to bore you with the details. Uh, battles, battles, turn the page, battles. <laughs> oh, wow. I killed a lot of I had a lot of sex with the ousters. It was freaky. So freaky. They all wanted me. Uh, and then, then I killed three of them and started the time tomb collapse. So I'm basically just going to destroy the world now with the Shrike and command <laughs> all the forces of evil and chaos. So that's basically my story. Uh Oh, man. Uh, that's a good point. Um, I don't know if I believe that he's making everything up. I think he's probably telling the truth. No, I think he is, too. I think he's just exaggerating how cool everything is. Oh, okay, sure, sure, sure. He's not um, good at coming up with cool details like everyone else made up in their stories. So he just says it was super cool and they were super advanced. In reality, they're just like kind of the same. <laughs> right right sure sure he i'd like him to end with when he basically says that he started this like this whole meltdown i'd like him to just say scoreboard at the end (laughs) (laughs) because clearly like everyone's stories they've been talking up about how like important and intense it is uh the first one uh father hoyt story super intense yeah turn now at this point doesn't seem that important no um (laughs) kind of same with kasad super intense ends with him just being like yeah i'm gonna kill the shrike not that important and then it gets to him and he's basically says uh yeah i started intergalactic war uh let the basically let the devil out and everyone's gonna die (laughs) scoreboard (laughs) And then he just dead eyes everybody and is like, what are you going to do about it? I don't- <laughs> and they're like, are you the spy? And he's like, freaking obviously, yeah. <laughs> if if anybody, if anybody in this group is writing the fan fiction of their own lives, it's freaking this guy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. The entire humanity's whole existence relies on the choices that he made. And in, in, by the way, he made those decisions very quickly. Oh. And <laughs> because basically those those I think it was three ousters that he was with uh-huh. say, you know, we're not setting it now because we want to make sure. Like th- Basically, they're doing the same thing that he does, but they're like, we want to be careful about this just to make just to <laughs> ensure that we want to do this. And he just right then because he didn't know before then, really. So he just <laughs> shoots them really quickly and sets it off. oh man yeah this guy kind of an asshole i think right i i honestly thought it was cool (laughs) he convinced me (laughs) you know what luke this is the this is the exact same situation we were in when we discussed the emperor's soul and you thought the artist was an asshole for burning the painting and i thought he was kind of cool Except now the tables have turned where I think this guy's an asshole, except he's not burning a painting. He's burning down the entire society. And you think (laughs) he's kind of cool. I totally agree. I get it. I understand that he's a complete dick because he's responsible for like billions of people (laughs) probably going to die. But (laughs) I just think it's kind of (laughs) neat. It's a good story. What can I say? He, he's kind of, he's not great at the details of this story, but he, I don't know. He just, his story had gravitas and I like it. (laughs) You know, he, (laughs) he lets the silences speak for themselves. That's, that's a good point. (laughs) I can't tell you how quickly I turned on when, when he basically, was saying that the he went through this whole bit about how the hegemony was kind of bad not that bad just kind of (laughs) bad and then was basically like and then the ousters were kind of dope right i turned immediately i was like yeah screw the hegemony kill them all (laughs) yeah i will say i was also immediately convinced just by his brief explanation of the ousters i was like yeah those poser hegemony people are just they're just posers, man. Those just scrubs that are, I don't know, watching TV all day. It's annoying. <laughs> Kill them all. Um, but, okay. Just, let, let's, uh, 
Are you ready to go into kind of broad talks about the book? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I've i looked up a little bit more in terms of this series, not enough to give me myself spoilers. Mm. So there's there's four total books in this series. I think there's a couple short stories outside of that, but the next book is takes off right from where this ends, and then I think the next two books take place sometime in the, I don't know, distant future. So <laughs> obviously this book ends with a huge cliffhanger and i think i since i don't i haven't really i don't really know much about this series it's i think it's relatively famous in sci-fi circles but not outside of that i so i this was this was what i thought of if this book had come out in say 2016 and you read it now and it was announced like this book has Dan Simmons is like, yeah, this will be a series of five book series. How freaking hyped are you for the next book? Because honestly, I, I, I don't think this is the case. I haven't read the books, but judging from the little traction that the second book has and the fact that there's really only one more book to complete this section, I'm assuming I will be a little disappointed. I don't know if that's the case or not. Yeah. But if this book had come out and there was no knowledge of the second book yet i feel like i would be just as excited for that book as i would for like the next game of thrones book oh i'm 100 percent with you yeah uh, because i could see this being such a huge epic like sci-fi story yeah absolutely well especially because the last two chapters basically lays out the entire world and the super interesting parts that luke and i have been complaining about for this entire series things like why aren't they talking to the ousters at all what the hell things like okay old earth was destroyed in this cataclysmic event and nobody talks about it oh that's also explained in the last two chapters but it's explained as like the hegemony did it whoa and so yeah you get all the super crazy world building stuff that give you all the context for everything right at the end and so it really sets you up to be like, now what happens? Like, what happens now that all this stuff is in place and built? Right. So maybe I'm just being cynical. But so I immediately was like, Phew, this could be like a sweet series. And I'm a little cynical about whether it is just based. I mean, not based on much, just based on the fact that it doesn't have its own HBOs. <laughs> not yet, Luke. Yeah, I feel like it. I, we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm assuming we'll, I don't know if we'll do it on this podcast, but I'm assuming I will at least read the second book at some point. Yeah, I think um, we could make a, a soft, a soft agreement with our listeners to return to this series if we think it would be a good uh, book for the show. Maybe not super soon, but maybe because we got we got plans. Oh, we got big plans. Uh, but maybe down the line a little bit, uh, kind of like how we're, we're going to return to a Game of Thrones, a Song of Ice and Fire series later on, but not right now. Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see what comes from this because so much was set up in the, at the end of this book right. or in, the, in these last two chapters right. that I would be surprised if could sum up in one book. Or if they are, I feel like they could be summed up or, th- or they could be made into several books that would be like, fantastic. Right. I think the only my only hesitancy, Luke, is the same hesitancy that I have with A Song of Ice and Fire. And that's where these authors will set you up so... Like, the buildup is so good. They're so good at, like, teasing you with stuff. And it, like, gets your imagination going. And you're like, oh, what about this thing? Like, oh, this is super cool. And then living up to the expectations that they have created by finishing it and showing you the cool stuff that they set up is almost always disappointing. And I don't think it's necessarily a fault of the writer. It's just a fault of this insane world that they set up that they can't deliver on because it's so, I don't know, like intricate. It's so the setup is the cooler part, I guess. And then once it's already set up, the resolution of it is not as exciting, I guess. Right, right. 
because no, yeah because i don't know nothing i feel like nothing can be as cool as just the mystery of what's going to happen right exactly because the mystery you can come up with all these theories and possibilities and you can kind of help create the story but then as soon as they say it it collapses into one story and it's probably not as cool as what you had pictured in your head right right as all of the the red yarn and things posted up in in my room (laughs) yeah luke i meant to talk to you about that how do you get out (laughs) because it looks like a spider i i haven't we'll we'll see i haven't tried yet (laughs) it looks like a spider web in there speaking of theories luke yeah we've got a theory for this book oh nice another one this yeah (laughs) Yeah, we had a theory. Turns out we weren't super right. However, uh, the book, the story hasn't ended. So there's nothing that has refuted our prediction from the last episode yet. I will say that. Which are you, are you talking about? Well, clar- clarify what, which prediction. You're so our prediction about. was that my prediction was that one of the party members is an android and they are working with the ousters to bring about the Shrike and it's kind of chaos in the world and their motive as androids of doing this is because the humans enslave them basically and so they were trying to get back at the humans and the evidence for that theory and that prediction are laid out in the last episode um and so that theory was partially i will say that that theory is partially proven correct though in that the ousters are bringing about the shrike uh but back to the theory that i mentioned before Luke, the AIs have figured out how to kill the Shrike, and their secret weapon is Colonel Kassad. <laughs> God damn it. Are you just saying this because Colonel Kassad wants to kill the Shrike? That's how I know it to be true, Luke. <laughs> okay, give me, give me your other Prepare to your be convinced. Other evidence. Prepare to be convinced. I'm so ready. I always am, so we'll see. <laughs> okay. So, Colonel Kassad's story focuses on this weird relationship he has with this woman who really only exists in these... Oh, uh, we've already got him. It's too late. <laughs> you if you already, could see... I'm, ar- I'm already nodding. <laughs> <laughs> so, it consists of this relationship he has with this weird woman in this strange like simulation that he's he's a part of and they describe that the simulation is connected to the all thing which is connected to the techno core and so the ais put this woman into the simulation with colonel kassad in order to get him to go to hyperion to eventually kill the shrike and this woman not only was to get him to go to hyperion to kill the shrike they implanted this in the training simulations to get him ready for when he actually has to kill the Shrike. And so they've been training him to be able to kill the Shrike just like he wants to. Do you, do you have an explanation for when she uh, turns into the Shrike? I do not. <laughs> Wait, I do. Okay. Is it going to be an on-the-fly explanation? <laughs> no yeah you but you were okay yeah yeah G- give me your well thought out reasoning colonel kassad has never been to hyperion colonel kassad underwent a simulation of a fight with the shrike that's why it was so unbelievable so so his his whole his whole interaction with the shrike didn't actually happen nope it was just it was just a simulation to i guess motivate him yes to kill the shrike this is exactly what happened luke i think he was coming back from the fight on brescia on that medical ship the ais jacked into his brain while he was on that ship and they played out the scenario that he says happened because we were already aware of the fact that these simulations are hyper realistic so he wouldn't if he he was unconscious and floating in a vat of like healing potion so of course he wouldn't know if he was actually in reality or not and so they jacked into his brain 
and made it look like made it seem like he did this intense combat with these ousters and landed on Hyperion where he fought he had his first training for fighting the Shrike to see what its capabilities were to see what its motives were and to get the anger that he needed to kill it god damn it okay well I can't poke any holes I can't so okay I'm not sure if I believe it but I can't poke any holes (laughs) here's the other thing Luke the AIs have already been shown to be hyper powerful the AIs can predict things and control events in like pretty serious ways and and when you think about we so we need an explanation for the woman that he keeps seeing mm-hmm. and the the shrike at this point could not leave its like containment zone or whatever that's the so hypothesis yeah right so and un- un- we don't know very much about the shrike but from what we know it would be v- v- unlikely that he could get into these simulations right that the shrike could get into these simulations right and turn into a woman because why, why would the shrike be able to do that i don't know so when you get into like occam's razor the yeah. most you know the most simplest it's the simplest explanation is that the ais are doing it because the simulations are run by the ais yep i don't know how you suck me into these because i know consciously that they're all wrong but you but... can't deny it luke <laughs> it's enticing you know am i <sighs> It's like a sea anemone. Am I, am, I, am I an idiot for getting sucked into things? No, Luke, it's it's like a sea anemone. You know you shouldn't touch it because it'll probably sting you, but you really want to. I'm on I'm on board. Yeah. Dang it. Yes. We have a 100% success rate. I just want to point that out. <laughs> with me. With me, to, cl- to be clear. With well, I would say I with 100% of our listeners right now. <laughs> Yeah, as far as we know, currently I'm the only listener. Um, <laughs> yeah, you you've convinced me on every single thing. We'll see if you convince her. You know what? Tweet at us if you are convinced or if you disagree. Uh, what's our Twitter handle? At at DC, it a BC. That's just DC I T A B C. Yeah, and just use the hashtag Kassad uh, Shrike Killer nice that's that's nice. gonna go viral. we're getting we're, we're, we're getting we're getting pretty good at uh making up hashtags on the fly um okay really quickly let's let's rate the book okay um i'll start this time because you normally start this i so aside from the problematic bits which we went into excessively in our last episode uh and we talked about it a little bit in the first episode um I thought this book is incredible. I thought it was super well written. The story was incredibly compelling and it wasn't super predictable. And when I say that, a story shouldn't be super predictable, predictable, but it should also, I think, kind of allude to things that are happening or at least they should seem kind of reasonable when things that are unexpected happen. And so this didn't really throw anything completely out of left field. Um that didn't seem reasonable. And the way that I know that is Luke and I were talking about things that seemed to be excluded from the book that we were just like, come on, where is this interaction between the ousters and the hegemony? Why aren't they communicating at all? And then that comes up as a major plot point. And so that to me was super well written, super cool. Um, and I like love this book. I think it's great. Yeah. I, and uh, so I'm going to do the same thing where, the my my thoughts on the book are i'm going to completely separate from my thoughts on dan simmons so i i agree with you that this book turned out to be very good i was i thought it was good up until this last section that we just read i think because the stories i thought were really you know were really interesting um and they were (laughs) they were crazy but I, I, I didn't quite put it at the like the highest level of what I of of you know other books that I've read these these last two sections these two chapters put it kind of over the edge for me because I mean I've already said it a, a decent amount where it actually makes kind of a broader reach towards like 
a huge storyline and so i it's it started off good like pretty good i was really enjoying it and then i think these last two chapters made it great for me i think i do think you probably enjoyed it more than i did a little bit because i i don't know if i would say it was like incredible yeah but um i think if this series is to my ex- my expectations for this series granted i know that they're probably too high i think that this would ha- based on this book alone would have the potential to be like the sci-fi version of game of thrones so i think the potential is super high and i think this book was very good my the reason that i'm not making it like a great or a, a you know one of my top books ever is just because nothing was resolved <laughs> But maybe we'll 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 see about the second book because yeah. maybe it'll jump after that. Yeah, that's actually part of the reason. I so part of it was frustrating, but part of it I also thought was pretty funny was that it wasn't resolved at the end, and the tone of the humor in this book I thought was like very well done, like how at the end they're walking along singing the wizard of oz song right that yeah i that was pretty funny and and so i i think it to me at least the balance of poking fun at like the reader and the world with being serious and telling a story was like right on was like perfect um and that's i think that's why i was so that's why i think this book is like really good and i consistently like throughout the book thought it was really good because I felt like that tone was there most of the time where it was always kind of poking fun at itself, but it still was like telling a compelling story. Um, So like, yeah, how it was written, I think is more what I was talking about rather than the story itself. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's yeah, that's fair. Um, So hopefully, or probably sometime in the future, we'll, we'll do the next book. But for now, since we're done with this book, we're going to announce our next book that we're going to read. We're going to jump back into fantasy. Dan, you want to tell uh, what we're going to read next? Uh, yeah. the I've had a lot of people recommend this book to me. We're going to be doing The Kingkiller Chronicles next. And that is by... It's by, it's by Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, the first book is the... Obviously, we're going to start with the first book. The first book is called The Name of the Wind, I believe. So we'll be reading that or a section of that for next week. And that's a, that's another book that Dan has not read that I have read. Yeah. Uh, one of these days, we're going to find a book that Luke has never read before. Uh, but until then, uh, I'm just going to have to keep making predictions and Luke's going to have to just keep his damn mouth shut. It's, it's, what, it's what I do best. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, Luke, you're you're pretty good at making and making hot takes. And Dan, you're a good dumb nerd.